Today is August 26. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border, the Blackfeet, north of the border, the Siksika, Ganai, and Pakani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina. We acknowledge all Indigenous that are First Nation, Métis, Inuit, and status or non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of this land. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that it can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down the Red Road. My name is Michelle Robinson. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman. I was born Michelle Elliott, another very English name, which has afforded me privilege in a colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm the daughter of Mayflower and the daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I was born in Calgary. Why acknowledging my lineage and where I was born matters is because even though I'm native, and even though I was born here, my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My indigenous nation still roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my nation is a visitor to the area of Clinchotine Indehe, or a many horse town named after the Calgary Stampede in Dene. My cousins are the Sutina. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to thank Kenna, Sharon, Diana, Judy, Amanda, Nathan, and Julie for signing up. NativeYYC at gmail.com to send me your questions or comments. Violence against Indigenous people is just my everyday reality. Every generation has faced it. That is why I started this podcast, to just speak freely without interruption, without the tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear what Indigenous have to say, but sure want to tell us their opinion, even though they may not have any history of Indigenous colonialism or the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. People who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, or people who are really in their trauma that stop people from doing good work. External and internal racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. I feel it's sad that I needed to start a podcast in order to create uh, safe environments, but here we are, and my hope is my daughter and my family will be proud of me in the future for trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they'll understand down the road. So today, I'm really lucky to be joined with a friend of mine, uh, Dustin. Dustin, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, for sure. Uh, good morning. It's good a nice, morning. It's uh, a beautiful Sunday morning here in Calgary. Um, like I said, I love the acknowledgement. And um, who am I? Uh, I'm not a Dustin Ross Fiddler. I'm a band counselor from uh, Waterham Lake First Nation. Um, we would say that uh, C keeps the gagan. Usually, when I introduce myself, I like to do it in the Hawaiian or Cree. Um, my Cree is not the greatest. I'm still learning as I go. And uh, so I would say Tansa Kiwa Nuagamagana, Dustin Ross Fiddler, Nisigasun, C keeps the gagan of Tinia, and basically, that is it. You know, that's not with the water in the First Nation and it's a good day. And uh, I like to open up a lot of my speeches with that. And as I learn more of my language and learn more Nihayoin, um, I want to expand that more and more. Mm-hmm. My hope is that 
one day that could be a majority of the speech. <laughs> um, and at Waterhead Lake, uh, that's Treaty 6 territory. Uh, Waterhead Lake, we signed, uh, we didn't want to sign originally, we had everything we needed. Um, so we were we were happy and content in our, in our area, in uh, northern Saskatchewan, so we actually didn't sign the treaty, which was in 1921. Mm. So we were treated until then, and uh, we're coming up on our 100 years since we signed that, so we're getting excited for that in the community. Um, and what I take care of there is uh, I work with uh, the youth, work with recreation, um, education is a big one, and economic development. And uh, something new we brought to the community was um, communications. Wow. So we wanted to make a communications portfolio on the first day of office. We said it's important to have communications with our community and with our office reserve members because water and we're about half on, half off for our population. Roughly 2,100 people and 1,100 officers. Wow. Yeah, that's and that changes pretty fast. You know, how that <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's anywhere between that 900 to 1100. Yeah. Yeah. What is the closest city that your res is by? Um, Meadow Lake uh, is about a 50 minute drive away, mm. and I would say that Meadow Lake is is really dependent on the nine First Nations in our region. And there's actually a little bit more than that. If you go to other bands that aren't, aren't a part of our tribal council area, you go outside of it, there's a there's a lot of um a lot of dollars that First Nations dollars that go through Meadow Lake. Um so we we have tried and um we've seen some success working with the leadership there. Um Flying Dust First Nation is one of uh, a close First Nation to Waterhen. They have really close ties to Meadow Lake as they're pretty much side by side. You go from the town right into the reserve. And uh, the chief there, Jeremy Norman, uh, it's he's grew up with a lot of these people in Meadow Lake, and he's so they um, actually just had this walk for unity um, not too long ago. Yeah, I think that was uh, I want to say that was in the early spring. I remember it was still cold out because we did a walk into Meadow Lake, and it was great to see we had leadership from uh, Métis leadership there. We had uh, First Nations leadership. And we had the mayor and his colleagues come out and we did this walk of unity because it was in the face of uh, all this trial that was going on with Gerald Stanley and all that. And oh. we, we said this is this is uh, an important time to do that, to show that we're not as divided as you can see it through the comments or anything yeah. like that online, right? It's Where can I share that? Because you know what? That's a narrative totally not out there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only seeing the you know racist in- instances that have happened, especially in Saskatchewan. Um, and I just absolutely want to hide, highlight that. Was that something that maybe I, I could find on your website? Um, that would be something on, I think the Northern Pride definitely covered that. That's our Metal Lake publication. Cool. Yeah. Um, and if it wasn't the Northern Pride, then it was Metal Lake Now or Metal Lake Today. <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah. A, there's a couple publications up there, but um, uh, we have, have a friend who works as a reporter in the office there. Her name's uh, Kathy Galland. And uh, she's really awesome. She really loves to highlight and cover these positive Indigenous stories. And she's been so great to to talk work and, and work with because anytime we have something in Waterhen we want to share or get information out, she's as easy as, you know, getting on Facebook Messenger. She's always on there. Yeah. And uh, she'll she'll just want to hear what we have to say. And she'll, okay. she'll make the effort to come out and cover it. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. I, I, I want to say since 2015... There's just been such a shift in some of the media with with uh, reporters that are like, I want to learn and I don't want to offend. Mm-hmm. And they ask questions and they try to cover stories in a better way. So I'm I'm just happy to hear that that's your experience there and that you have somebody that's kind of in your corner willing to well, willing to share those positive things. Mm-hmm. Um, you were also talking about, you know, trying to reclaim your language quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting. My husband and I, we've talked about 
um, my podcast and the intro that I do. And he's, he's said to me, well, have you ever considered uh, just taping at one time and then we'll just replay it? And I, I said, no, no, because I, I got to get better at being able to say things like, you know, Clincho Tine Indehe, because <laughs> it, this yeah, land here, yeah. um, you know, Blackfoot territory, everyone calls it Mokinstis because that's the Mokinstis term or uh, the Blackfoot term for this area. And which is absolutely respectful, but in my language, um, and it's not even the same dialect as Sutina, that we call it something different. And it's like, if I don't honor that, I don't know if that word will get out there more. And uh, everybody, every language or every nation has their own term for Calgary in their own language, right? And I want to get that out there more. I mean, I need to learn more of my language as well. So there's a little dictionary that's around here somewhere. And, you know, and and it's yeah. fun because, you know, we'll think about a word and I'll try to look it up and, and I can't even find some of these terms. Like uh, one person was saying, you know, that they were feeling really sick and, you know, the Cree term for a heat induced diarrhea is this. And I started looking through my d- dictionary. I'm like, nope, nope. Nope. But every type of snow, whether it's like partly melted or newly fresh or coming down hard, we have different terms for all of those. <laughs> yes. It's, the, the, the amount of, um, I guess like you could say there's not a lot of direct translation, at least in Cree. And um, when I say Cree, like I, I always feel like um, that's more of a colonial kind of term put on as Cree. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of people in my territory myself we like to call ourselves Nehewak or Neheo people yeah. um, so when I talk about Cree I guess I'll talk about it in Nehewin so that's I'll say this is what Nehewin is and that's mm-hmm. the the language and um, you know there's some funny there's some funny things in the language like uh, the one thing I could think of is you know when we were talking about different uh, races or cultures you know our, the way that the Nehawin language worked is it was pretty direct, right? If it was like a, if you're talking about a white person, you're saying Munyao or Munyawak is white people. And then if you're talking about a black person, it's um we have the color black in our language and we say Kiskitiwa. Mm. And then if if we're talking about a black person, then the dr- direct translation actually is black meat. That's what it is. And so we'll say Kiskitiwias. Mm. <laughs> and yep. that's that's just the that that's just how the interpretation was there. I don't, I don't know if they're working on a new word, if they've had a new word for that, but yeah. that's just, that's how we, that's how the, you know, the heroin works. And it's, it's funny how some of those translations come through. Like you said, we'll have one thing for another, but then 20 different ways to say something else. And, you and know, so. it's funny because uh, here you are, you're a Cree man sitting in my living room and there's been a longstanding issue from mine, Dene, about the term like slavey and slave mm. and it being somehow rooted with Cree. And I don't really understand the history. And of course, as you know, your nation would tell the story differently than my nation would tell the story. So yeah. I, I have had people say, don't say slavey. That's not our term. That's not our word. So I understand what you mean about the term Cree even. How yeah. it's like, that's not even our word. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's hard to get that back. And you know, my name, Red Thunder Woman, um, you're still thinking in a really English way to say it, Red Thunder Woman. So I found the translation for red, found the translation for thunder and woman. But if you say it together, that's still kind of an English way of, you know, oh, it must go in this order when it might not go in that order based on what the way our language is. So, yeah, yeah. I got to spend some time up north and yeah. find an elder willing to kind of teach me how to say my name just in, in our way mm. and really break down the slavey, Dene concept and you know just 
tried to teach me the better way to say these words instead of, you know, what we've been taught and Indian Act imposed names, right? Like yes. that's what a lot of that is too. So, yeah. So what are some of the really cool things that you're doing out there that, uh, that you're super proud of right now? Uh, out in Waterhead, uh, there's my, my biggest thing, I guess I could say I'm proud about is I wouldn't be there if I didn't have a, a drive to want to be there. And what drives me to want to be there is this next generation of youth. And I don't want to say it in a native politician way where it's like, yeah. oh, the youth, you know, we're all about the youth. I, I really <laughs> try to stay away from that yeah. because, you know, it's, um, I have a friend and we actually have a mutual friend, Kevin Sisequasis, and uh, he always says, I'll never campaign on the youth. I'm never going to campaign that this is, it's like your job should inherently encompass um, the betterment of the next generation. Yeah. And and I was like 100%. And so when I think about what's going on in Waterhead, I'm saying the youth, but I don't mean it in like I'm for the youth. I mean yeah. it in a way that we're actually, um, since I've been on council there, we've been prioritizing a lot of uh a lot of skills training and a lot of development and with this um, Jordan's principal funding um, the government has started to put out finally for our First Nations mm. um, we've been able to do a lot of mental health stuff and take them to different things uh, I've, that's something I really like to uh, take the lead on because uh, my big belief is that in our northern community in northern Saskatchewan a small small reserve I want to get these kids out of the community and show them mm. what's out there in that um, let's say if you're uh, two-spirited um you know there's still a lot of that uh, colonial mentality that that tore that respect away from that and i want to take them out and say like it's okay to be gay mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's yep. okay to be lesbian it's okay to be two-spirited yeah. whatever you want to identify with if you want to be a woman that's all right like let's take you out of the community and let's show you and that was one of the things that i made sure we did right away um again with our friend kevin right. uh he had a um a pride parade in beardies and i think it's the first pride parade on a reserve in canada it was and uh so that that's something he's been doing annually and it started out small and i, I think it's getting bigger and bigger every year yeah. so i said let's get a, a van of youth whoever wants to come and um if they if they feel like they want to come and enjoy this and we had such a tremendous response we filled up that van right away with, with so many different youth and, and you could tell some of them were maybe struggling with their identity, but that was great for them to come out because I saw them just so much more relaxed after the trip, after we participated in the parade, we, we I did know. up the van and we, I, we stopped in um, North Battleford on the way there. And we, and I went and got a bunch of window writers and a bunch of markers. I said, guys, you color up the van however you want. Awesome. And they went to town, they started writing everything and <laughs> <laughs> we were driving and um, I didn't realize on the back, um, one of the kids wrote up, gay pride real big and we were getting honks all the time and i was like all right waving and i had no idea what they were honking at <laughs> i found out from one of the mlas um i think it was carla beck she's a ndp mla she's like so you guys are the gay pride band we saw you we were honking at you good job Aww, that's <laughs> i was like cool great news. i was so cool with it i was like oh man and uh the kids loved it they were you know they, they had so much fun and we were being highlighted as our community being there awesome. and um I, I i told kevin i said the next time we do this, I would love to get more First Nations. And this could be a bigger thing with with um, different surrounding First Nations where they can bring their youth. And it's just opening up acceptance and opening up people's, you know, uh, beliefs and, and tearing down those colonial constructs of the Indian Act that should power away from our women mm-hmm. and from our two-spirited people. Like, that's that's not the way we were, you know, traditionally you go far back enough. We had tremendous respect for our women and, and tremendous respect for two-spirited people, right? They held, right. Yeah, they held a, you know, the, they saw both sides of the coin. And then we are, we are recognized and understood that. 
It, mm. it It's so great finally having conversations about Two-Spirit. Did you know it's Pride right now in Calgary, actually? Yeah, I've seen <laughs> so, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so everything, like uh, I have the program upstairs. There's so much going on right now and mm-hmm. um, super excited about it. But the concept of Two-Spirit was something that I actually started stumbling upon more and more with Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and um, knowing... Um, following homeless populations and such, knowing that a lot of the uh, youth that were homeless were LGBTQ2+. And that really bothered me and upset me. And then Mm -hmm. I actually have um, an auntie who's gay and two cousins that are transgender. So I started to be very concerned about how high risk they were at. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so I just started getting more and more in the community. And I actually put forward a policy to start acknowledging Two-Spirit because a lot of the uh, LGBTQ acronym doesn't ever include the two. And uh, I think that, you know, we're in so-called reconciliation time and we're going to be honest, we have very different barriers that we face than uh, non-Indigenous do. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to really start highlighting that and wanted to make it a policy that if you are using the acronym, to start including the two. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually trying to do that with a lot of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls acronym. Mm-hmm. Trying to get that two in there as well because um, that's still who our people are that are missing. And then um, a lot of them are not honored in the gender that they preferred. Mm-hmm. And we may find that out later. But that's that shame from Indian residential schools that mm-hmm. a lot of the parents are like, you know, this was our son. This was our daughter. And they have to still deal with their trauma and legacy. And then on top of losing a child, that's, you know, something I don't even want to understand. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are things that uh, really what brought, brought it up for me. And then um, I I'm, did meet Kevin yeah. and I put forward this policy and what, I was really grateful to talk to him about that. I've, I've met lots of indigenous people that at first didn't feel comfortable even using the term two-spirit until they understood their own teachings a bit. Um, I have a friend of mine, his name is Evans, and he kind of challenged me. He said, uh, not just me, he put it out to everybody, and I think um, I challenge anybody listening, uh, find out what the term two-spirit is in your language. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to my granny, and I talked to my cousin, and I'm like, hey, so what's the term for two-spirit? And they said, well, we never actually had gender terms it was always they and them and i that really blew up blew my mind i'm like really and then uh, i was introduced to a book called the importance of monogamy and it's a book that's based on colonialism in alberta and it was written and it talked about you know uh, basically forcing people to take a gender um not recognizing indigenous people as people and then not allowing white women the opportunity to even own land And that's how Alberta was formed. And it was so painfully obvious to me why the identity of Two-Spirit was completely erased, just in order to accommodate colonialism. Mm -hmm. So that was when I became really, like, super focused on talking about the issue of Two-Spirit. And, uh, yeah, I've been, you know, talking about it and hoping that whenever I see anyone use LGBTQ or MMIW, Mm -hmm. I'm like, start including the two. Yeah. Because I just... uh, want to honor those uh, whether they're deaths or, or whether they're just people trying to enjoy their life <laughs> you yeah. know um we have a wonderful camp here called camp firefly in alberta okay. and um they have a lot of indigenous speakers that are really helping 
um, bring that narrative into it and talking about racism that a lot of Indigenous face. And I really think our, like when we talk about youth and not in the leadership way. (laughs) Right, yes. (laughs) This group, like this generation, they get to have that pride of it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be lesbian. It's okay to be transgender. And, and it's okay to, you know, get educated and it's okay to be proud of who you are. Cause mm-hmm. I know growing up, I didn't have those narratives at all. And I certainly didn't have the narrative just as an indigenous hetero woman to be proud of being indigenous at all. So, uh, you know, I, I really do have like a lot of hope for the next generation because mm-hmm. they they actually do get to be a lot more who they are mm-hmm. um yeah so i'm super excited well, and i know what you mean about that you well, know you don't want to sound like you know a chief running or something yes <laughs> it's just i think uh when it comes to the youth in my community that you know what i'm just i'm proud at the end of the day that what i wanted to do when i came back to my community and, and work in the community it was definitely like i said youth-based to make sure that they're borders and and uh their horizons expanded that they saw bigger things and and saw bigger possibilities and i think one thing that's really cool is actually uh, from this interview i'm flying out to toronto i'm going to the airport i'm going to toronto um to meet with two waterhen youth that we got uh out there doing a film workshop and they're learning how to do a, a film workshop and that's through uh taking it global um the they uh, dallas pelly is one of their guys that they work with and they they said we're having a create to learn workshop dustin and, and get the youth from your community to apply so i threw it up on all the message boards i threw it up on my profile i said guys apply to this and, and get in here and um we had two youth from uh, waterhand selected so i was just talking to one of them today and it's her first time really going anywhere like like really awesome like this and she was saying um you know i couldn't sleep at all last night and <laughs> she forgot it was sunday she thought it was monday <laughs> and she <laughs> She was just excited, and, and I think one of the cool things being a, a younger um, counselor, leader in my community, is that I can identify with these kids a lot more because, you know, that was only a decade ago that I was yeah, 18, the same age that, that this young one is. So I just, uh, I remember that excitement, and I remember how that was to to go to the city for the first time and mm-hmm. kind of do that stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I also told her, I said, one cool thing that we'll do, and we have another young guy, um, he's 14 now. And we said, let's go get some cool Instagram pics. And she was like, oh, yeah, new profile pictures for sure. <laughs> All these things. <laughs> I said, Toronto's the city to do it in. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that's, like I said, things like that is is just what I what I enjoy. And I can I can leave my term knowing that it's all it's all um, it's what I wanted to achieve and accomplish with a few of these youth for sure. It's just take them to things like this, show them the world. And uh, totally. You know, that's one aspect I could talk about all these different other aspects we're working on, you know, yeah. but uh, that's the one I'm, I think I'm the most proud of is to be able to say that at least for two years of my life, I've been able to to make relationships and, and you know, lasting relationships with these youth and give them uh, a male role model, I guess you could say in a way to to be able to talk to and, and look up to if they need to. That's my own personal opinion. I've seen yeah. from my own upbringing is that there's a lack of young indigenous male role models. At least that's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I remember that I had one male role model growing up and that was my uncle Sid. And that's cause he was a, a pipe carrier and he kept the sweat going and he would mm-hmm. always take me out to cultural camps and, yeah. and he, he lived a very clean lifestyle. And other, apart from him, I, I didn't really have any male role models. The rest of them were like my grandma or my aunties, my mom. <laughs> yeah, I, had, <laughs> I was very, you know, very heavily raised by women. And I think that's like, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I, you know, I, yeah. I know that a lot of, uh, indigenous young people are raised by women and um yeah i just it, it's opening up our perspectives i think again right to, to, to you know say that women are you know 
they're going to guide us through these times, the, yeah. these times of the past and then into the future, I think. And so I just want to, yeah, I just want to be able to make my grandma and my mom proud and, and say like, you guys raised me and whatever I'm doing is because of you. And yeah, I hear that from my mom and my grandma all the time. So it's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy that we've been chatting about, <laughs> about all of this because I think, uh, I just, I don't know if enough of that narrative gets out there. And the most freeing thing I found about having a podcast is that we can kind of really explain our point of view without that interruption and mm -hmm. without it being a sound clip. Yeah. Because it sounds nice to say, oh, I really value my mom and my grandma. But like, there's that deeper depth of like, if a lot of the Indigenous kids are raised by their moms and their grandmothers, you know, that does change the way things are. And I, I think it's important to talk about that more makes me happy anyway <laughs> yeah no for sure uh, i think uh <laughs> i think that uh, i remember there has been you know like like everyone in their life has their their tough times and rough times and uh, when i was younger uh i remember dealing with some issues and and thinking you know i was dealing with them in unhealthy ways you know so alcoholism was a big thing that was something like you said you brought up and you see these things like oh alcohol is the way to deal with a, a mm. problem or you know if you yeah. have an emotional wound alcohol is the way or something it's just what you see and when you're young you don't really think objectively about it you just kind of do what you see and so I remember when I was in those issues what got me out of them and uh it'll be pretty soon close to three years that uh, I haven't touched alcohol at all um but three years ago why I totally swore it off is because I was thinking at, at one of these points when I was drunk, I was like, this is not who I was raised to be by my mom or my grandma. I was mm. like, they didn't raise me to be a drunk. They didn't raise me to be angry at, at the world and, and mm. drink it all away and, and yeah. throw it away. I was like, they put in the time and effort for, you know, 20 some years to make sure that I made it out of the reserve and or that I made it into university or that I made it somewhere yeah. farther than than their expectations. Mm. And so that's that's a huge thing and I think our youth are really our next generation is really going to hold on to these kind of beliefs and I think we're going to just I don't know go further and further that's that that uh they they say it's the generations of healing and I'm the first generation in my family that didn't go to residential school so I'm that I'm that first in my eyes that that building block to make sure the next generation can go further and, and so on mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, whether it's seven generations or eight generations, that that healing has started to, you know, happen a lot where we're not seeing a lot of these uh, intergenerational effects and yeah. the negative consequences of this colonialism. So, yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's that's kind of my viewpoint on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's uh, really, really important to talk about um the positive things that are now happening because of it. And mm -hmm. I'm, a lot of people are encouraging me to run the provincial or federal level. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that, and I keep trying to explain to the colonial parties is, you know, I, I really just want to be the first generation to raise my daughter without interruption, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. And uh, me running to Edmonton or Ottawa is not going to achieve that interruption and that healing that I, I think needs to be done. But, you know, when my daughter turns 18... And starts going to university and is like tired of her mother you know maybe it'll be different i don't know politics is about timing too so i don't know if it'll work but we'll yeah. see um but i think it's really important to acknowledge wins yeah. um my granny went to residential school but my mother didn't uh she was raised in Yellowknife in a catholic school so you know i would argue <laughs> but my youngest um aunt and uncle were put in Indian residential school actually so go figure that my mom was the oldest and she never went but my aunt and uncle 
they did, the youngest ones, because my, my granny had to go back to school. And those were the last two kids she had that had to go into um, residential school. So she put them there on purpose mm. so that she could finish some schooling and then took them out. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting listening to the choices that they were forced to make. And there's actually even more history there, but I don't know. I don't think I'll get into that too much. It's just that uh, my daughter will be the first child to go to a religious school without trauma, <laughs> mm. which I think is a big deal. Yeah, but she's yeah. oh, this will be her last year. And then she's going to go into French immersion, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, because I just I want her to not look at uh, Christianity in the negative light that even I do. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I try not to. But, mm-hmm. you know, those wounds are there, yeah. you know, um, the uh, Indian residential school made it really hard for the transgender cousins that I have to be properly respected within our family that taught homophobia, transphobia. It's pretty rooted, right? Yeah. So, and even myself, uh, I suffer from heterosexism. <laughs> I try really hard, but at the end of the day, you know, I don't mind calling myself and being accountable for, um, you know, using term terminology that is not as inclusive as it could be for mm-hmm. sure. So, yeah, I mean, lots of healing to do. And, you know, my, my daughter, I encouraged her right away that, you know, don't feel confined to this heterosexual norm mm-hmm. that, you know, has always been imposed. And right away, she started looking and having these conversations conversations about what bi- pansexual is and bisexual. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So that's my heterosexual or hetero, you know, privileges showing that I need to learn more about these things and, yeah. you know, work with that. So, yeah, I'm really happy for the next generation that they're not forced to be thinking in ways that a little more decolonized anyway, you yeah. know, <laughs> and, and asking those questions. I remember me and my girlfriend were having a talk not too long ago where I said, um, I just had to ask her, I said, is cisgendered male a bad thing? She's like, what? I yeah. said, I keep on hearing the term cisgendered male as like people are like, oh, you're a cisgendered male. And it's a, it's a negative connotation with it. And she was like, well, no, I don't believe so. She's like, that's just kind of um, she, what she told me was that it's just understanding who you are and where you come from so you can recognize and acknowledge that that privilege mm-hmm. that maybe comes with being a cisgendered male or yeah. in the society because that's what it favors, right? That's how it's always, like you said, that's the yeah. that's the... I don't know the patriarchal system of of the, the um, I don't know toxic masculinity kind of thing that that's been spread around for yeah. for a big deal a uh, big while and uh, I don't know I try to be really cognizant of that and you notice them in some arenas that you'll go into where that's that's still very heavy and prevalent of mm-hmm. of generations um, before me I, I know that uh, I'm not calling out anyone specific here but I was just at the AFN assembly in Vancouver and you see a lot of that you know you see a lot of the yeah you know, the, the shining suits or whatever and the, the big chest and, you know, like, oh, here's who I know and here's what we're doing. And it's just like comparing each other and trying to be the biggest man in the room, some of these people. And I'm like, that's not that's not the way it is. And I've learned that from um, my chief, um, Joanne Roy. Uh, she's she's a woman and she's something we were, we go into these battles together because as a woman, we both recognize these things. We'll look around, we'll be in some meetings and we'll notice that when sometimes she goes to speak her point on something around a roundtable discussion that maybe, you know, conversations start on the side or people don't pay as much attention. And I'm just yeah. like, we, you know, we recognize these things. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, she tells me and we talk about it. It's a work in progress. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I learned from, from, like I said, a lot of women leaders and that we do have some great, you know, leaders that are, that are men that are coming through and trying to break those barriers. Like I said, Kevin's one great guy that that's, mm-hmm. that's taught me so much about 
you know, recognizing where we are and how we are and how we act. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he, you know, because uh, this is something that I've really tried to to focus on doing Kevin's the greatest guy to have around you because he'll call you out if he sees you acting with an ego or acting with something right he'll break yeah. you down and have a good joke with you and he'll say watch it and uh, you know in, yeah, in a yeah. good way in a friendly way and yeah. so it's it's awesome having people like him around and I try to surround myself with people like that and right on I don't know I, I one of my goals <laughs> is I see is telling these young women in my community too you guys want to be leaders you guys want to do it you guys can totally mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 for you to see and um that's one thing I'm proud of is we've had uh, almost 10 years now of a, a woman chief. We went, we had Carol Bernard before. And now we have Joanne Roy as our chief now. And I'm like, that's that's a decade of, of young people. You know, they could be one years old when, when Carol was elected in. And that's right. now they're nine years older and, and they're seeing Joanne as chief. And so they've only known a woman chief of our reserve. And I'm like, that's something cool. Like, that's, that's a perspective yes. changer. You know, like, that's just yeah. what they grow up with. Oh, so, that's great. Stuff like that. I don't know. I, if, if that means me not you know being a counselor to make space for for more women leadership then i'm like 100 percent with that because i think it's it's personal opinion i think it's about time that we start to bring that bring that voice back in and and uh i don't know hear that voice in these positions of of power authority you could say but that's you know we can we could go into the long details about what that power authority is or where it comes from but ultimately at the end of the day like you know these have been arenas for men and arenas for 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 breeding this uh, um toxic masculinity that's the best way to say it yeah um and so if we can get more women in there and uh really you know give them whatever they need empower them and empower them mm-hmm. then i'm i'm all for that and right i'm not on. just saying that to say no, that i want to no. make that i know you hear some people and you're like oh come on this guy give it up <laughs> no <laughs> excuse me i think it's really important to talk about you know the lack of um i mean it was forced through the indian act that women couldn't really be mm-hmm. the leaders and um, the irony being, of course, in community, all the women are leaders, whether yeah. it's through Sisters and Spirit Vigils or, you know, a million initiatives that women are doing, but just could never be properly recognized with, with those titles um, through the colonial system, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> so I think it's really important. And, and it's music to my ears. I think a lot of, especially like my daughter and other youth, they do need to hear this because uh, there has been like a lot of toxic masculinity mm-hmm. in Indigenous circles unfortunately from Indian residential schools that mm-hmm. taught colonial perspective. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, if we can start changing that, then I'm all for giving you air for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and th- like I said, I appreciate, I appreciate being given the, the spot to be able to, you know, just talk openly with, yeah. with you and, and um, say, you know, things that are on my mind because there's a lot of stuff as you go through this, uh, it is uh, water and is under an Indian act. Um, you know, that's, uh, we were just talking with the chief yesterday, me and my um, counselor colleague. Um, she's the chief, Bill, uh, I want to say Joyce Bill from Kwanlin Dunn. Mm. And uh, she was telling us about how up there they have their own governing body and they're not under the Indian Act. And uh, some nations up in her region haven't been under the Indian Act for 20 some years. So that's a whole couple generations right there, a whole generation yeah. and a half right there that hasn't seen that. And she was just telling us about how they do things. And that's one thing that I've seen in my community. I'd love to just really push that out there that that we're not <laughs> paper chiefs or counselors you know that we can yeah. uh, that that there's there's real we have our real values and real systems that we can put out ourselves and and whether that's you know making our own acts and, and uh make in, ensuring that we say you know we're a sovereign nation we're sovereign people we're, mm. it's it's so backwards when i think about it and i go through the system where i see all these uh, all these redundancies yeah and i i make sure that when i talk with people about the indian act i say have you ever read it 
Yeah. And, I, and like the the fully amended, the and everything from last form, have you read it? And they're like, well, no, I don't think, oh, you know, I kind of know what it does. And I say, well, you should go check out the responsibilities of chief and counsel. Yeah. Go take a look at it. And then it'll say that um, a chief or counselor can only be removed from counsel if, uh, if he's missed uh, what, three or more regular scheduled council meetings or uh, – I think that there's a quorum decision on something, but I don't know if they can actually remove you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you look at the responsibilities right after, and it says um, counselors must, and it has this this index from like A to J or something about mm-hmm. all these things counselors should do, and it's make sure that uh, noxious, poor, poisonous weeds are controlled on the reserve lands. And it goes into these small things, and it, you're just wondering, you're like, so under the Indian Act, it could be 100% legal for me to come into office, make sure I don't miss three meetings in a row and just go out and control the poisonous and noxious weeds all day. Yeah. And that, that could be my job. Right. And that would be hundred percent legal. That's Indian. And I'm so it's, it's something, like I said, we got to get out of, we got to give ourselves higher standards. We got to give ourselves the governance capacity to build ourselves up and, and expect better really is, is mm-hmm. a big deal. It's a big thing. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't know. The Indian Act's a fun one to read. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, if you if you're kind of sadistic, fun is like my yeah, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> well, that, between that or uh, you know, legal constitution. Yeah, I mean, my 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 family when they complain about being unable to fall asleep, I'm like, oh, do you want me to pull out this constitution and start reading it? No, yeah. no, no. Okay, I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> so the British North America Act. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna start here. <laughs> Just. See how much you enjoy that. That's right. That's right. I mean, <laughs> it is a way to fall asleep for sure. <laughs> yeah, I actually tried something. We were uh, we were at a staff retreat in Moose Jaw, um, and I was put in a room with a counselor colleague of mine, and he was a loud snorer, and he was he was up. So what I did is I was like, all right, I put on my my headphones, and I, I started watching uh, <laughs> the twenty eleven Canadian debate. <laughs> And I was just listening to it, and I found myself nodding off after 15 minutes of listening to, I think it was Harper, talk about the economy and how there was no corporate tax cuts coming and yeah. all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before you knew it, I was falling asleep. I had to wake up and take my headphones off and go back to bed. <laughs> so if anybody is having trouble sleeping out there, right? put on a debate and just listen to it. Not too intently because you might get into it, but you know, just keep it as background noise. You'll be all right. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well... I want to keep talking, but I guess we have to probably, mm. you know, cut this short. And I yeah. just, I can't say thank you enough for coming out and, and saying, you know, everything that you shared and hopefully we can get some more updates from you of what's going on. For sure. And I'll always share it on my podcast if there's something cool. So whatever is going on in Toronto, if you ever uh, get a chance, I'll, I'll try to stock your Facebook po- profile yeah, and just do sure. an update about, hey, these youth that went to Toronto, guess what? Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to share with you the whole reason I have this little tattoo here. Um, it has um, feathers, the Métis pride symbol, and then an in- a nutchuck from uh, Inuit. Nukshuk. <laughs> um, this symbol is actually a symbol that uh, is the Indigenous Peoples Commission, and that's where I met our mutual friend Kevin. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the one who designed this, wow. um, actually. And the the reason why I got it, uh, you know, I have a little tiny tattoo, and once you get a tattoo, you want more. But I never, you know, took the time and and kept the money for things like that. But the there was a fundraiser. There's a a Blackfoot woman here. Uh, her name is Danny, and she runs this uh, Treaty 7 Film Collective. She went to Adam Beach's film school, actually. Okay, I've heard of yeah, that. Yeah, 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 for sure. 
she was she had put out that she knew of this um, opportunity and it w- was for indigenous or non-indigenous kids to go to film school mm-hmm. um and uh or animation school i should say i'm pretty sure that the arts community would be pretty upset <laughs> that i got that mixed up so yeah. my apologies in advance so this fundraiser was if you get a tattoo the tattoo artist who is part blackfoot would put those proceeds towards that so uh i went and i met this fellow um tank buffalo he's here in the city and uh really nice guy does a lot of cool arts he even uh does those uh we have these extreme horror film or horror uh, mansions that get set up every halloween and he was one of the people that's a part of that uh so he's always doing really cool um artistic stuff mm-hmm. uh, lots of tattoos all of those things uh he actually was out at Haida Gwaii and the elders taught him how to do a totem and he so he told me some of those stories and how they made fun of him if he got the wrong uh you know tree and things that he had to haul it in and then haul it back and then get a new one and you know elders are they're hysterically funny sometimes when when we do things wrong so (laughs) yeah no for sure i just uh (laughs) i think i don't know we could talk forever about about that it's funny how elders have a way of saying things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the way to teach you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, no, it's it's been fun. Um, I yeah. just want to say on the um, social media stock and go for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my page, I keep it 100% public. Like anybody can look at my page and see all my posts. I have, you know, why would I want to hide anything that we're doing in the community? And totally. I, you know, I don't really go on rants or anything or tirades. <laughs> so I like I leave it open. I just tell anybody that I meet or network with. I say go on my Facebook. You'll see everything on there. You'll see all my pictures you'll see all the stuff we're doing in Waterhen and um, one thing that I'm really proud of is I come back from Toronto next week uh, starting out in September and a big radio project I've been working on uh, since I got into office is finally coming to fruition where we got the tower base built we're going to build the tower and get a studio up and I want to start teaching um, this radio broadcasting as a high school accredited course like media and broadcasting yeah getting our community members trained on how to broadcast and i was thinking you're giving me ideas as we're going through here maybe we could rebroadcast your podcast and we know we have lots of time on our community station so yeah um that's one thing i'm really proud of because that was the communications that when i when i came into water and i said we got to have a communication strategy yeah and once this radio station's launched we're launching everything else with the website the social media page i want to get a a snapchat going on for chief and council or an instagram yeah something like i said you know because you have um in my reserve one one chief six counselors and we're all over the place sometimes you know it's just the nature of the job you'll have a meeting with ministers or you'll have an act dev yeah. conference or something and the community may be wondering oh well we never see them in the band office what do they do in their outro yeah. you know that's a misconception if you don't yeah. have good communication that's what people are going to they're, they're going to tend to think of the negative of what you're up to you know always not totally. working so i think this is just a way of well you know maybe some of these people can look on the instagram and say oh look at there's an update there yeah um you know blaze is here in calgary doing this or or joanne's in ottawa meeting with the minister or something you know Mm -hmm. things that maybe you don't get communicated out and you're led to believe whatever you want to believe (laughs) yeah so that's that's a big part i can't wait to to launch and that's something i'm really proud to see hopefully before the end of my term we have um, the Indian Act, uh, two years, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's, we go into that too, but I know we're coming to an end, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, that's something while going into the end of my term, I just want to see that done. And if whether, you know, I'm in there the next term or not, at least that's set up and I know they'll use it. So, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. I'm really excited. So I guess if you need some campaign time, let me know, but <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I appreciate that. Yeah. And um, like I said, maybe whenever you you know come up to water, and if you ever come up to northern Saskatchewan, yeah. stop by there. We we have um beautiful cabins and a nice resort. It's called M and N Cabin. Really? And, yeah, it's called M and N because when we bought it back in the day, yeah, uh, decades ago. That was what it was called, and we just left it. <laughs> so, so Eminem is the original Moonyow owners, the white owners of back nice. in the day, and so yeah. we're looking at a rebrand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to say. <laughs> I'm like, we gotta like kind of take this back a bit. We, yeah. you know. So, um, if you're in the area, Eminem or whatever it's called at the time, come stay at our cabins. Come check out the, the community. I think it's one of the most beautiful communities in in Saskatchewan, just because we're just hugging a lake. Our reserve land is cut in half by this lake. So awesome. we have a south side and north side reserve, and it's yeah. just along this beautiful lake in the forest. So oh, sounds like uh, a place that people would go, like fishing and hunting. That's as well. You know, that's a double standard. Yeah. No, not double standard. Double edged sword is what yeah, I meant to say. Because right. you want to enjoy your lake, you want to enjoy where you've always traditionally fished, hunted, and gathered. Yeah. Um, but you have so many white people that are just it's the provincial park they come in the provincial park came in gotcha. took a big part of it and there's no respect there a lot of the time my uncle Sid uh, I was talking about him earlier as he's somebody that still traditionally likes to go out and do netting and, and all this stuff and uh, he'll come back um, and his nets will be destroyed because these boaters these drunk boaters I say you know I know yeah. they're drinking yeah. they they go by and they just run over the net and they have fun and keep on going so he's come back to just rip nets and stuff like that it, I think there just needs to be more respect there yeah. um mutual respect and we need to make sure that our lake we, we keep it kind of our lake but we don't want to close it down because we love that people and canadians come and enjoy our land mm-hmm. we're not we're not trying to build up fences and say no yeah, we'll go course. elsewhere we, we we do want you know people there i think there just needs to be a more respectful way of doing it and if if the provincial park isn't going to enforce that yeah. And I don't think it's a priority of theirs, unfortunately. Yeah. Then our First Nation needs to start doing something to ensure that respect because there's just been too many issues in my time in council um, of of people just disrespecting, you know, um, the reserve land or the water around it. And yeah. uh, my mom called me one time at the band office, said, you know, I'm so mad. Where's the cops? And all this. I was like, whoa, settle down. What happened? She said, some boaters just went by and they were drunk and they mooned me. I was And I was like, what? They mooned you? And she was like, yeah, they mooned me. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I don't even know who you'd call. Like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, that's yeah. that's just something you think you should be able to on your, on your, you know, your yard, be yeah. able to enjoy your yard without having drunk boaters go by mooning you, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So that's something I th- I'm, I'm looking forward to in the future. Also, getting the provincial parks in Saskatchewan to recognize that you can charge treaty people when they're going through to their reserve lands. We've had people from Waterhen, um, where they were told they have to pay if they're going to a different lake in the provincial park. And it's like, no, like this is, this was before your provincial park came here in whatever, yeah. 1930, whenever you guys decided to make it. Yeah. We were here for millennia before. Yeah. These were our lakes. We had different names for them. We had Nahawin yeah. names. So you're going to come in and tell me I have to pay 18 bucks to go to Greg Lake because I'm going to use your bathroom there or something. It's like, mm. come on. Yeah, no, I'm right there. Why is your bathroom there? Why is that Greg Lake, right? <laughs> Break that down a bit. So that's that's something that's also coming in the future. Where we want to start that up at the parks because yeah. it's just been too many instances of band members calling me saying, do we have to pay there at the toll? Yeah. And I said, no. Uh, even the Ahmadiyya Muslims, they've been coming out to our community just to make better relations and ask, you know, what we could need there. We're trying to build relations there. This is a yeah. whole other thing. No, I know we're, we're totally trying to end it. here too. <laughs> no, you know, I, I wanted to ask you what reconciliation is looking like in your area and i'm finding the same thing with mm-hmm. the exact same sect of muslims 
like they're they want me to come out for something right like right now I should be at and then yeah. on on Wednesday like there's so many things happening and they're they're trying to create good relations and it's, with it's indigenous. beautiful I, yeah. I I love that that that's, that's their their whole thing is to come out and and I think the big mantra uh, for them is uh, love for all hatred for none that's mm-hmm. what and how I know that I was just I just went yesterday to their conference so there it's they call it their Jalsa. And uh, did a uh, speaking on the reconciliation, building those bridges, and spoke yeah. a little bit of Cree to them, and and the terms that I see like Asagi to win is one of them, and that means love in Nahewin. And I said, you guys have that same belief in your in your religion. I've seen it. It's that love for one another, and so we have so many similarities there, and uh, that's something that they've told me. I made great friends, and actually one of their head organizers there, we really connected, and he said, you know. When you opened up your speech and you said all my relations, he's like, I really do believe that. And he messaged me after and said, you know, I'd be really honored to be able to call you my brother and mm-hmm. say that, you know, we're, we are related and yeah. we are. And I was like, wow, that's huge. But, you know, back to the original point, when they, <laughs> when they tried to come to Waterhead, the park said you have to pay if you go into Waterhead. Even though they were our guests coming here to meet us, yeah. the park told them they have to pay to go to Waterhead Lake First Nation. <sighs> and they did because they didn't know any better. And I was like, see, this is what we got to get out there and break it down that you don't have to pay at these gates if you're not going to, you know, if you're not a non-status card holder that's going to go camp or something, you know, like it's yeah. just, it's unfortunate that you have to have a status card for that because I know some people, like you said, in your intro, they they don't have that because of different reasons and we yeah. can go into that too. Oh my goodness. I know, This right? could be I, like a three-hour podcast just talking so about every area and every Right, because it, it is like all a... related because of that, like, oppressive Indian act, yeah. right? So, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I, I'll cut myself off here because I know I, I can go on forever and I do have to catch a flight soon. So, um, yeah. you know, I just want to say thank you, Ernan Oskaman, um, for having me here, Michelle. And uh, I really hope maybe we can do a part two interview in your second season of your podcast. And uh, sure. I come through Calgary quite a bit. I enjoy the Bow River. I enjoy going up to Banff Camel and all that. And, oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, so. no, then we're <laughs> your regular guest. You're welcome awesome. back all the time. And okay. and we have an extra bed if you ever are stuck. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll be sure to message you if I'm ever stuck in Calgary. You yeah, never that's know, right. right? <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Dustin, for coming. Um, the Dene uh, language that I've been taught you, we say Masicho. Yeah, Masicho for coming. So then I'm grateful that you shared what you shared, and we'll be looking for those updates, and I will absolutely be updating on here as well. So thank you. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, and I think uh, the one Dene term that I can kind of remember is Atlanta. Is that that's something that I know they say? I'm not sure what it means. I think it's like a welcoming greeting. Right. But uh, we have Dene in our nation. We share our tribal council. It's a Dene and Cree tribal council. Oh, really? Yeah. So we have um, four Denny communities, five Cree communities, and we all work together as one tribal council kind of together. So I have really good friends that are Denny and, and we have close relations with them. That's great. Oh, yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you again. Reconciliation, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Between ourselves, too. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Thanks again, Dustin. No problem at all. Thank you.